Welcome to the Hungry Few Podcast with your host, Riley Logsdon, where we extract the top habits of highly successful individuals and reverse engineer their tactics, behaviors, and strategies. You'll learn firsthand from experts grinding in the trenches daily. So you have all the tools and tactics to reach your destination. Are you one of the complacent many or are you one of the hungry few? What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Hungry Few podcast. Today, I have one of my really good friends, James Hansen, who is not only a full-time firefighter, but also the owner of Easy Audio Rental and TC Rental, two different companies. Thanks for coming on the podcast, brother. Absolutely, my friend. Happy to be here. Super excited for you. Dude, I cannot wait to get into it. And I know that uh, we have a lot of different things we can dive into here with with all you're taking on. But let's just start with how uh, you ended up getting into the business side of things. Uh, the Well, I've always wanted to have my own thing. And when you start as a firefighter at 19 years old, you're pretty much told what to do. And you have those ceilings as far as income goes. And you might want to get promoted or at work a little extra to see if you can get a a raise within that system. But you truly have a ceiling when it comes to those government work, uh, those government jobs, because it's right there on a piece of paper in the office. It says exactly how much you can make per per position. It doesn't change. You know, they might get a little bump here and there, but it's nothing that you can do, like go make a great sale and make another 50 or 100 grand a year. It doesn't happen. Hmm. So you decided that you wanted to take it into your own hands and find a way to create another form, another stream of income? Yeah, as far as my stories go, um, I mean, I was barely making any money at the fire department and most firefighters can probably relate. But the point was, is I was having a family and I was scraping by and I was tired of surviving and I wanted to thrive. So I had to figure out a different way to make income, which was going to have to be either passive or active or some type of financial moves um, on a limited income. So I had to get creative and that's really my story is how creative I've been to get um, where I'm at right now. Yeah. That's something that's, that I've definitely noticed about you is how you can just go off and create another stream of income fairly easily. It's just, seems like money comes easy to you. Maybe not, but anytime that you, you're just like, Oh, I want to make some more money. Let me go create it. You know, and, and you create these multiple streams of income. How, how have you, done that so easily or has it been easy? Well, it hasn't been easy at all, but everybody says, you know, you're an overnight success after 10 years of trying something. So those, those first couple of years are, are not simple. Um, I was reading all kinds of books, YouTube university on real estate and anything I could find, you know, cause I didn't have any money for, um, for direct coaching or anything like that. And which I think is super valuable now. So when you're just really starting out, I mean, I was going to the library and, and getting books because I didn't have the money initially to do anything financially, I had to figure it out. I was just so frustrated with being broke um, and having a family. And, you know, there was too much month at the end of your, at the end of your money. So um, I really like had to rethink or reteach myself how I thought about money because I thought it was kind of a bad thing and that people that had money were bad and, you know, they were better than me. And I had to get rid of all that crap. And I mean all of it because there was tons of it. And it took me years to peel it away to get to the point where I could feel good about getting a bigger check than I had made, you know, it took me six months over here to make it, but over here I did it in two weeks. It's just, it's a different mindset shift. So um, if you ask me what's the biggest change I made, it's believing in myself 
and believing in the lessons that other people have to, to teach and not trying to rebuild them on the way. If the book says do it this way, it's probably going to work if you just stick to whatever book it is. But when you try to take this book and this book and this podcast and this one and you try to meld it into this this thing, it's really not what any of them agree on. So if you stick to one plan, it absolutely works. And the Dave Ramsey plan has been the biggest thing for my wife and I um, that's turned our financial life around. And our, I mean, my goal this year is to um, write one more check and write my house off and pay it down completely. So that's a really, really cool thing. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is don't reinvent the wheel or go research 40 different wheels and try to create your own. Just pick one and follow those steps. Yeah. And that's what I had to do. I had to stop trying to remake everything because I wanted to make it mine and special. And I, a lot of people that I know that have done the Ramsey plan, they kind of do it. Um, but then they, they add their own tick into it. So they feel like it's theirs, which is fine if that works for you. But I'm telling you right now, if you pick Susie Orman's or, or whoever's plan and you just do that damn thing and quit messing with it, it will absolutely work. I agree. It's hmm, awesome. So something that you were talking about uh, before the podcast was facing fear and how that has been a theme, a consistent theme throughout your success. You want to touch on that a little bit? Sure. Like well, with the fire department, we, so we train to the level of fear and we train to risk, risk benefit analysis all the time. And it is constant, whether I'm going through this intersection or whether I'm going into that house right? Based on the current conditions of the property and the house with the smoke's coming out, which way, what color it is, all this stuff. So it's really hard to recreate that in the business world. Okay. I have this sale. I have this customer. Here's my price point. How am I going to get it to them? My deliverables. You have all these things that are going together, but you can't really practice that. So with the fire department, we would constantly practice it. We would basically, how do I explain this? We would do trial runs, basic practice runs like you did when you were in sports. You know, you got the A squads playing the B squad, right? So what I did early on in real estate is I would get a house under contract and then I would sit down at my desk and I would say, okay, if a buyer called me right now, what are my next steps? And I would just boop, 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 boop. I would go through them. And then when a buyer did call me, man, it seemed a lot easier because I had practiced. And I was like, oh man, I really need this. Um, I don't want to throw a bunch of terms out there, but I need this certain form, right? I need a lead-based paint form. Well, I don't have that. So where do I find it? I need to download it because it's part of the disclosure and that kind of stuff. So what I'm saying is, even though I didn't have customers yet to purchase the property, I was running myself through those uh, championship reps to get better at it so that it just, so I'm not nervous. And that's how you break through your fear barriers, right? Like with my kids now, it's like, oh, I have anxiety about this and I don't want to do that because I'm scared and nervous. So practice. So what's the first step? Yeah. That's how you get through anything, right? Mm, yeah, that's good. That's how I do it. Yeah. The quote, quote that I like regarding that is failing to plan is planning to fail. And it seems oh, like man, yeah. the more you actually prepare for something, your anxiety and your stress both go down because you know what's going to happen. Where most of the time, if you're anxious about something, it's a false belief of what's going to happen before it actually happens. For sure, because you can sit and stew about it because your mind is so powerful, right? You can think of all the 20 ways that it can go wrong, but instead, when I got nervous, I would I would practice it out. Um, the hard part is actually doing that because how many people are going to stop and force themselves to role play? And at the fire department, that's what we did is role play over and over with medical calls, with fires, with different things. And I just transferred that over into sales 
of a really large item because only most people, they move a couple times a year or they buy or sell a house a few times, right? Well, if you get into real estate, you know, I used to get wildly nervous those first couple transactions. And now I just walk up and, you know, is this a possibility? Is it not? Before I leave here, I'm going to have a couple ideas of an exit strategy on how I can sell it or how I can attain it through leverage. And then I can own it forever or I can own it for two, four days like the last one I did. Mm. It's pretty awesome. Right on. Yeah, that's awesome. So conquering fear and just facing fear was a big theme there as well. Uh, let's dive into making brand advocates and how you've used that technique to really scale your audio rental business. Yeah. And now that we're talking about it, I've actually done it with both businesses. So I learned it again, I learned it at audio rental and I started using it with the real estate, which is how I've grown my portfolio. So let's say somebody has doing a karaoke package. It's a whopping $55 rental, right? No big deal. So they want a microphone. They want some, they want a speaker, um, and that's about it. They want to pay the minimum amount and get the maximum benefit, right? Just like you, when you go to a store, you want something on sale. So if I can't get them to buy the lights because the lights are the party, the music is normal. The microphones are normal. The speaker is normal. That's all stuff that people have at normal parties. But when I get them to, when I get them to rent the lights, it's a freaking blast. And every customer tells me that, right? So when I, when they won't rent the lights, when they show up to do the karaoke rental, I give them the lights for free. I'm like, Hey, I know this wasn't maybe in your budget, but this works. I know it works. And I want to honor you. Cause I think your party is going to be five times better with it. Right. And they're like, wow, who wait, wait a minute. Because the lights rent for almost the same price as the sound system does. So I'm basically giving them 50% off on their rental. And then I give them a couple business cards. I was really nervous about this at first, um, but I do it now with no problem right through reps. I would give them just a few business cards. I wouldn't give them a stack because then they're not valuable. But if I gave them, like I kind of stand there and I kind of play with them and I'm like, oh, how many do I want to give them? And I'm almost like playing a game with them because these are valuable to me and I've already given you something for free and I want you to do something back for me, which is give these to your friends if they ask. So I do a quick little, hey, let me give you a couple cards. Ah, oh, you probably don't need that many. Let me give you three or four of these cards. And if your friends want them, just let them have them, please. Uh, because, you know, they might have a party too. And I tell them, hey, I don't advertise. And this is really the only way I grow. And that's what real estate agents do too. They're always asking for referrals, 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 right? Because it's a cheap way of getting a new customer, just like you and me. But if I can turn them into a brand advocate and really accentuate their event and their party and get on their emotional level of things, not just, here's your speaker. This is what you wanted. Thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. That's boring, right? But if I love on them a little bit because I want them to love back, I mean, they're giving me money so I can pay my rent or I don't have rent. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I can pay my bills. Um, it works. So I took those lessons and I moved it over to the real estate for the referral business. So I could acquire a property. I do some major repairs on it and then I sell it on a note for somebody else to purchase from me. So I'm the bank, right? Well, once I do a good job with them and I do everything I say I'm going to do and I provide value above and beyond instead of just being super transactional, then their friends call me or they'll call me six months, a year later. Hey, do you have any houses? Hey, I've got a friend that wants to do what I did, right? And then I don't have to spend money on marketing because like what you do, you're a marketing magician and people know that. 
So you don't have to go out and search and search and search for new customers because once you get really good with your 10 core customers, then all of a sudden all their friends are getting referred and you're like, wow, I don't know how I got this big or I got all these customers. It's because you're doing a great job. So no one that's no one that's not doing a great job stays open very long, right? I mean, if you can kill your competition, that's one thing. Like if you can focus on them and try to kill them, or if you can just make brand advocates and really make them love your customer service and you and because you're doing everything you're supposed to do. Um, I wish I could remember the name of the book I read. Um, the guy that owns the golden – I'm spacing it off here. I was rolling. Um, the guy that owns Gold Diggers Casino in Las Vegas. I forget his name, but he's got a great book on like every customer. Uh-uh. No, that's a different set of casinos. But he owns he owns like Bubba Gump Shrimp and a whole bunch of restaurants and all these things. And his big thing is there's no spare customers. That's his tagline. And I totally agree with that. I mean, it takes you how long to get a customer, Riley? I mean, you've got to prod, pry, find them, sell them, close them, build them up, right? You got to do all this thing. Another thing I would say with brand advocates and just customer service in general is answer your damn phone. Um, I got a I got a job today for an audio rental because this lady said. I can't believe you called me back. I've called three places and I haven't talked to anybody. And then she sends me a text. You know, it's right here on my screen. It says, thank you so much. Exclamation point. You're a lifesaver and really appreciate it. Exclamation point. And what did I do? All I did was call her back. I answered the phone. Like, it's not that hard. Like people think this business is like this wild, wicked thing. How did you get so successful, James? I don't know. I call people back. I answer my damn phone. It's some of the stuff is really simple, but we lose those those little things that really matter, like giving out a couple business cards, acting like they're important, and then treating my rental customers, that, that people that rent houses from me, treating them like customers instead of treating them like an annoyance. Like every time something needs fixed, it gets fixed right away, and I check on them afterwards, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I just think that's the only way to do business if you want to stay in business. And I, I would go as far as saying that's the best form of marketing that you could possibly have because – you're, if I'm in front of somebody, if I'm using Facebook, Instagram, even Google, whatever it is, I'm in front of them telling them you should trust me versus when somebody else that they trust says you should trust this company. That's so much more valuable than me saying it's an easy sale. You trust me because somebody yeah. else that they trust that has already used you is telling them face to face. This guy's awesome. And so that's why you're super aware of that. And that's why in every situation you go above and beyond to show the customer, I care about you and I want to make sure you're 100% happy with my service and by providing the best service for them and just showing them you care about them, answering your phone. It could be something as simple as that. They're like, this person's awesome. They answered his phone. Let me go tell Sally and Jim about him too. And when somebody else that you trust tells you about certain service, you're not going to question it. Say perfect. Those sales are so easy when they call me and they say, "Oh, I got your card from so and so," or "I was at a party at so and so's house and um, I just your stuff was so great." I mean, it's like it's it's just boom boom as a transaction, right? And then and then they get the lights every time. Or it's just a funny story. I did have one customer not get the lights, and then I gave him the lights, and he was like, "I knew you were going to give me the lights," because the customers had talked. And I was like, you know what? That's fine. If that happens a couple times a year, what do I care? I mean, the, the, I already own the lights, right? You don't have debt on any of your assets, right? Unless it's leveraged, which is a whole other conversation. Um, so, 
What I'm saying is when I give them the lights and create that advocacy, it's not costing me anything. I'm giving something, I'm giving them something for free that I, that's already working. It's just so smooth. Yeah, man. And it's a bonus for them. It's something that they didn't pay for. That's going above and beyond. So they're super happy. So when's the last time that you went to a store and they gave you something that didn't cost them anything, right? Like if you had massive customer service, usually you have to go to a really high end store to get that personal touch and feel, but ultimately you're paying for it. It's not like, Oh, you bought it. You know, here's a pair of shoes with, with that suit. And I know they're going to fit because they're your size because it goes with the suit. But I really want you to have them, even though you weren't going to pay for them. That's what I'm doing. I think it, I just think it works. Yeah. And it's super rare. You never see it. So when you do, you're standing out even more. It shouldn't be super rare, though. Um, it'd be nice. But I think discounts and numbers, you know, public or traded companies, all this stuff. I mean, maybe you go to a, a sports event and they throw you a T-shirt or something, right? And then you wear that free T-shirt all over town. I'm in Kansas City, so we wear Chief stuff all the time. And you go to the game and you get a Chief shirt, and then you see somebody else in town. They were at that same game because they got that same Chief shirt on, or hat, or bobblehead, or whatever. But I think they do the same thing. Uh, I just do it on a on a micro level with my home based business. It's pretty awesome. That's awesome. So with all these different things you're doing, going back to your full time firefighter. You have the the audio rental company. Then you also have the real estate stuff you're doing. How do you manage all that? Most people can't even manage one business. You're doing three. Uh, I'm pretty dialed in. So I've learned time management skills with, I use a Gmail calendar and I use reminders. Um, I also, I use my phone to remind me things. You know, 15 minutes before this, my phone set a reminder, said, hey, you got a podcast with Riley. I'm like, okay, sweet. And if that wouldn't have gone off, my wife would be pissed at me right now <laughs> because I I forgot to tell her about it because I called her an hour ago and said, hey, let's go to the grocery store, do some stuff. But that reminder helps me with my relationship because if something's going to come up and it's not on my calendar, so what's a, what's a practical skill that I can give somebody? Um, I'm going to give you two. I have a family calendar and I have a business calendar. And it's it's also redundant. So my wife doesn't care about six audio rentals on Friday, right? But she needs to know that I have those. So it's more about scheduling it out. I call all my customers the night before to reconfirm what they want, um, what they're getting, if they want to cancel. And I try to incite activity or action on their part when I call them. And what I mean by that is I don't, I don't call them and say, hey, this is James from Easy Audio, just checking in. We'll see you tomorrow. No, I say, this is James. How's it going? I hope your event's all set up and ready to go because I'm, you know, I because because I do care. It's usually a wedding or a birthday party or a big event in somebody's life. And then I say, if you want to cancel, call me back. If everything's copacetic and I'll see you at noon, I'll see you at noon. So they get a reminder. Um, you know, I'd like to automate that somehow, but I don't. Google sends out a reminder the day before the event and stuff like that. But it's almost like the dentist these days. Like I get sick of the dentist texting me every two weeks out, one week out, two days out, one day out before my dentist appointment. So I don't want to be super annoying with that. But as far as time management goes, um, another trick I do with the audio rental is people are very big on their time, right? And I am for sure too, but I have 24 hour shifts. So if I work out, if I work on a Friday, a 24 hour shift, I let them pick up on a Thursday. So if you're running it backwards, their party's on Saturday, they got a thousand things to do on Saturday, right? And on Friday, they got 500 things to do. But on Thursday, they only have a couple things to kind of prep for. So if I can give them the rental two days prior to their actual party day, 
they love me because they expect to pay for those days. But I would never rent to somebody on a Saturday when they're using it on a Saturday. And I would give them those extra days because it benefits my schedule. Um, but they like, but they like it because they get it. It, it saves them problems and time and issues and stuff like that. So what I'm saying is it benefits me and it benefits them. So that's a win-win, right? So if you can find those win-wins with your customer uh, in whatever you're in, that's what you should do. And a win-win is me giving you lights when, uh, when I, it's going to make your party amazing and it doesn't cost me anything. So try to find those, try to find those win-wins in your business or try to find the win-wins that other businesses are doing similar to yours and figure out a way um, to integrate that stuff. Because not everybody's doing short-term and long-term rentals. Obviously, you're doing sales, but I'm in sales too. So I got to ask for the sale when it's over. Hmm. Yeah, let's, uh, so, so reflecting back on that, time management-wise, it, it's just having two different calendars, family and business, and just making sure everything goes in the calendar. Make sure you don't miss anything and you just super strategic with the way you plan it out. Yeah. And I had to teach myself that at first because my wife was like, I don't know what you're doing. Um, so I heard another podcast with some highly successful. I don't think I'm highly successful, but I don't think anybody that's successful thinks they're highly successful. But they said to have they said to have one calendar where everything goes so you don't have to duplicate it. OK. And I tried that. But my wife is not interested in looking at a calendar with with events like this on it. Cause you got the kid stuff in there too. Right. So what I do is I just pull up both calendars cause everybody's got two screens these days and I make sure that it fits and I'll give somebody extra time if it benefits me because it benefits them too. So I'm just saying, look for those win-wins and uh, you got to have a calendar these days. You can do Calendly. Uh, that's really awesome. And Google, I mean, all of them, any of them just use the damn thing, right? Don't just have it. Love it. So you touched on just asking for the sale a little bit there. Um, let's dive deeper into that, the importance of just asking for the sale. And you were talking to me a little bit before we hopped on here about it. Uh, let's dive deeper into that and how that's played an important role in your success. Okay. So with anybody's success, just like trying to get a job, um, I'll take this on a different realm. So we've been talking about audio rental so much. Um, if I ever looked for, when I was trying to become a fireman, um, I would be going up against hundreds of people to try to get one or two spots for the year. So whatever city you're next to, um, it was incredibly difficult for me to separate myself over hundreds of other young guys that wanted to be firefighters at the time. So what I would do by ask, what I mean by ask for the sale is I would go in and I would force them to tell me no. I would gamify the process of getting a job at that place by networking, by stopping by, by getting to know people, um, asking people, who do I need to know that you know? It's my favorite question. So how does that, how does that relate to asking for the sale? I didn't disqualify myself before it started. And I saw this a lot in my kids when they were trying to go get their first jobs. They're like, well, I can't work there because of this, this, and this, but they haven't even talked to somebody yet. Okay. Well, how about this store over here? Well, I, I can't work there because of this, this, and this. So they weren't facing their fears. They weren't asking for the sale. And the, you're selling yourself because we're all in sales, right? I'm trying just to basically get a job as a kid or I'm trying to sell myself. Um, I'm standing in a customer's house and I'm, I'll call them a customer. Someone's trying to sell their house. I'm standing in their living room. I'm talking to them. I'm selling them on the validity of my words, whether it's possible that I can take it down, right? at the price I want to take it down. I have to sell them on my confidence, on my ability to make the transaction happen. Whether it's 
getting your first job or getting a property or making a rental sale. So at the end of every rental call or when we get close to the edge, what I try to do is I try to, the hard part is to get them to call you, right? I mean, that is the hardest part. So once they're on the phone, I try to tie what I offer with what they need. And I listen. And then I say, most of the time, if, if this line works, I'll say, you know what? If this was my sister's wedding, this is what I'd give her. Because it's, it's the truth. I would absolutely give my sister this particular audio system. And then I get closer to asking for the sale. I was like, does everything I explained make sense to you? Because you should probably get it. Like this just makes sense to me, right? So you can assume the sale or you can ask for the sale. Typically, I'm assuming the sale because I put as much information out there as possible when it comes to audio rental. So like to relate it to you, you've got videos, social, this, this, and this, right? And then once you get somebody on the phone that's interested, there's nothing wrong. And that's a fear barrier of mine that I had to break through is why I want to talk about it is just simply um, locking it in and then asking them in your way, in your words, is this a fit? Because that's a buying question, right? Are you going to buy? You don't say... Um, you know, can I sign you up? How about a consultation? Or they'll ask you, what's the next step in this process? You have to have the answers to all these questions, right? And if you don't ask for the sale, why did you do all that other work on the front end if you're not going to ask them for the sale once you talk to them? And this is something I had to cram in my own face um, after reading books and podcasts and, and just doing all the research on sales is just at the very end, ask for the sale. If you go on a date, Hey, you want to go back to my place? You're asking for the sale. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Love that. Well, dude, I, we dove into a lot of different things here. Um, and I know I, I have a lot of takeaways from this already. I'm going to go apply a lot of this, but dude, thanks so much for coming on. That, that was a blast. I hope so, bro. That was a blast. Where can uh, the oh. audience find you if, uh, if they want to support you or get to know you better? Yeah, I love talking about small business. I think my my calling here in a few years, maybe I'll be a small business coach or small business guru because it's it, for me it was really difficult to to start and to get out of my own way. And I love watching people succeed and help pushing them through so they can get out of their own way to really get to those levels where they want to be, where they have more options to do what they want with their time and money. Because that's the whole reason I'm doing this is I'm looking at that retirement number and um Retirement won't be retirement. I'll just be, you know, switching from one thing to the next, but it'd be cool to, to finish out that chapter. So if you want to get a hold of me, uh, find me on Facebook and DM me or PM me, whatever, you, whatever that's called. <laughs> I'm over 40, so I do it, but I don't, I don't know it that well. Come on. I don't know, I'll include all that in the show notes as well so they can go find you. But dude, thanks for being on the podcast today. That was awesome. I hope it was helpful, bud. I love talking to you. Dude, it was. All right, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Hungry Few Podcast, and we will see you next time. You've been listening to an episode of the Hungry Few Podcast, where we believe complacency is the enemy. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay hungry. Stay hungry.